When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and Realnurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Ryan Dusenberry. Ryan, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? Sure. So Ryan Dusenberry, I'm a wholesaler here in uh, Grand Haven, Michigan. We're uh, kind of part of a larger metro area, uh, Grand Rapids. I'm sure most people are more familiar with Grand Rapids, or maybe not. It's, uh, you know, usually when people think of Michigan, they think of Detroit and then everything else, right? So, but I primarily do wholesaling, starting to get into some rentals and building up my portfolio. Really excited to get into some Airbnb things and different types of investments like that. But uh, yeah, the wholesaling has been working really well for me for about the past three years. So I'm, I'm going to stick to that and, and try to build it up as much as I can. Awesome. I love that. And we will definitely have an interesting conversation today because I am an investor, a wholesaler, and also a broker. So it's like all these things kind of come intertwined when you're talking to a potential property seller and you can offer them options. So I, I'm very sure. interested in, in you know, everything that you have going on today, but what got you into the real estate industry? So I, I always knew I wanted to get involved uh, one way or another, and it, I would say it started when I lived in Chicago, this was probably seven or eight years ago, I purchased uh, my first property. It was a condo near Wrigley Field. And I actually lived there for about five years. And then during that time, I renovated it, you know, fixed up the kitchen, you know, did some new flooring, built a second bedroom. And uh, I, I knew that it was worth more. And so I was excited at, one, at some point to sell it. Uh, but instead, I, I decided to rent it out for a couple of years. And I was, I think I was cash flowing three or 400 bucks a month. And I had a couple of agents tell me like, you're thinking about selling, you're crazy. You just hang on to that. You know, that, that's cash flowing. You're right next to Wrigley Field. The market's appreciating. And, and so I, of course, I made the mistake in selling it. And, you know, I wanted to put my money into something else and actually move back to Michigan. But I was just 
I made a huge profit on it. I made some good money cash flow on it. I didn't realize at the time what depreciation would do to you uh, for capital gains. So, so uh, that was uh, that was kind of a, a rude awakening. But, but just all those things that kind of happened at once. I just knew that I wanted to do more, and whether it was flips or buying holds, I, I wasn't really sure yet. And so, uh, eventually, I just started you know, listening to podcasts, reading books, um, and just, it was every day. It was constant. I was, I was hooked and I was like, I'm going to do this and I got to take action and I got to, got to start somewhere. And, uh, I kind of narrowed in on wholesaling just because, you know, the, the low investment, you know, you don't really need any money to get started. And, and then next thing I knew, I, you know, did a couple mailers, did some, got some driving for dollars lead. And then I got my first deal. And that just, I mean, once you see that first check, it's amazing what it does to you. And from there, I just, I couldn't stop. I had to keep going and keep pushing forward. So that's kind of my, my story. And uh, believe it or not, I still have my W2 job, which is pretty wild. I, you know, haven't given that up yet. I'm, you know, trying to juggle both right now, but the business is really taking off. And so I think, it's, it's something's going to come to a head here sooner rather than later for sure. So awesome. And how many transactions did you do within you know the last year? I want to see kind of where you're at and then. Yeah. So the last year has been the biggest year for sure. I'd say I, I should be able to give you an exact number. I don't have it pulled up right now, but I think we're probably at at least 30, some, some odd transactions, I think 32 probably in the last year and, and really in the last 90 days. I think I've done 15, 16. So it's really starting to exponentially, you know, just get better and better. And it's it's just crazy. It's just momentum and it's just grinding it every day. And, you know, I'm putting in the work right now. Long-term plans are obviously to start st- stopping away and, you know, hiring people to kind of fill in uh, the different roles in the business. And, uh, but, you know, I, yeah, it, I'm loving it and I'm really uh, getting some good momentum here. And it's amazing too, how quickly it can happen. You know, it's, it's like we're already, my wife and I are already like, you know, making plans to uh, buy different properties. And we, we actually are about to close on a Airbnb property on Lake Michigan, which was always my dream is to own something like that. But I was thinking, you know, maybe 50, 60, maybe when I'm retired, you know, and here we are like two years later and we're already about to close on it. So it's just, it's, it's pretty wild what it's done so far. Yeah, that's awesome. And my next question is, you know, what advice would you give to someone who's getting into the real estate investment game and maybe they've done like five transactions in a year mm-hmm. and they really want to level up? Like what levers can they pull to get to the next step? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's different for everybody because, you know, everyone has, you know, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people that get into the real estate investing, they usually have a- another job, right? Whether it's uh, part-time or, you know, full-time. Uh, I know for me, you know, COVID was actually in some ways a blessing because of the work from home, everything kind of, you know, transitioned over to people being at home more. And I was able to, you know, basically do my job from home uh, almost 100% of the time. And that really allowed me to get everything done quicker and then focus more on my business. I guess the best advice I would have is, you know, especially if you have a full-time job is just, you're going to have to put in the time, you know, on evenings, weekends, and, lunch breaks, I mean, and do the prospecting, you know, if it's wholesaling and I come from sales. So I've always kind of understood what what it took and it's really a numbers game. And and I know it sounds cliche, but it's just the truth. I mean, you got to make so many phone calls, you got to talk to so many people and you got to get, you got to start sending offers. And so um, eventually when you look at your numbers, you're going to have a pretty good idea. Hey, I, I need to send, you know, 
10 offers to get a contract, or maybe it's only eight. You know, I'm getting to the point now where it's, it's getting closer to five, which is good for me. Um, it's just that comes with experience. But initially to start, you got to put in those prospecting efforts. And I think a lot of people don't get that at first. And, and so, you know, maybe they're only sending a couple offers a month and hoping that they get it or hoping that they get a deal. But, um, you know, you got, you got to ramp it up. And so for me, it's just every day I, I try to commit to making a certain amount of prospecting calls. And it doesn't matter how busy I am. I, I have to get those calls in. So I think it's time management and uh, it's just, it's putting in the work and doing the little things and talking to people. Makes sense. And I like what you said about 10 offers to one acceptance in the beginning, because I mm-hmm. think it's really easy to get motivated and maybe you even get to the point where you submit that first offer. Mm-hmm. But then if, if the seller's like, nah, I'm going to go with this broker that I talked to that said I can get X amount more on the market and whatever, and you get mm-hmm. discouraged, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important to set that bar for those that are getting into the real estate investment game. And you know what? Maybe they already have, you know, five things under contract over the last 12 months that they've then made a profit on. But it's mm-hmm. just such a good reminder that this is sales, it's a numbers game, and you increase those numbers, right, on the front end, and mm-hmm. the numbers on the back end just naturally increase. And then you get better. And then it's eight to one yeah. and five to one. And also yeah. you're still pumping out the same numbers. And then that's where that exponential increase comes in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the hardest thing for people that maybe didn't come from a sales environment is getting past that rejection, like you had said. You know, you're gonna you're gonna get a lot more no's than you are yeses. It's 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 natural and that's just the way it is. But if you can overcome that and say, hey, look, you know, every every no that I get, I'm that much closer to a yes. And that, that's got to be the mentality. And and believe me, when you get that yes and you start getting, you know, a couple of yeses every month, I mean, you're going to build that momentum quick and you're not even going to care about the no's anymore. You're just going to, you're going to start to expect them and, and really get, get used to it. And uh, that'll, I think that'll really get you going. So yeah, definitely. Yep. Absolutely. What's the single most important action that you take on a daily basis that you attribute most to your success? Yeah, I think it's kind of going back to the conversation we just had is, is really uh, just, you know, almost forcing myself to, Hey, I got to make my follow-up calls, right. You know, I have a CRM I use and I, I try to stay as organized as I can, you know, it doesn't always work out that way, but you know, I, I really try to schedule tasks every day, you know, and they're usually follow-up tasks. Sometimes they're, you know, Hey, I got a website lead that, you know, hasn't responded in a couple of weeks or, you know, I, it's a client I, we already sent an offer to, but we haven't heard back. So it's just those repetitive follow-up tasks and, and, and just not skipping those. Cause it's so easy to say, Oh, I've had a busy day. I don't have time for that. And then, you know, you, you, it's all suddenly it's tomorrow. And then the same thing happens, you get busy. And, and then before you know it, at the end of the week, now you've got, you know, five days worth of tasks that have all kind of added up. And meanwhile, because you didn't follow up, maybe you, you may have lost a deal. So it's really just, uh, you know, holding yourself accountable to making sure you're making those calls, those sending those emails, making those follow-ups, even if it's just 20 minutes out of your day, you know, just set that time aside, make those calls and get people on the phone. And I definitely think your results will, will improve. So key. And I love how you said they all stack up. You know, you just, you just skip that one day and then all of a sudden it's tomorrow and then, oh, it happens again. And then you get to the end of the week and you're like, gosh, it's been a crazy week. I'll just do it next week. Right. And then that's, that's where that procrastination and pushing off comes in and deals fall through the cracks. Time kills deals. Right. So if, if, if you happen to get in touch with a potential seller that is interested in an offer and then 
the follow-up window might be 48 hours where you didn't mm -hmm. necessarily say that, but maybe that is the window, right? And maybe it's seven days. And then if you wait 10, that window's gone. And it's a, you know, it's just a example of how things can slip through the cracks. So great point. Follow-up is super key and holding yourself accountable, you know? I think that coaching is is a big aspect for me that helps hold me accountable. It's almost hard to keep myself accountable on my own. Uh, do you have any type of coaching that you you either like pay for or are a part of? Uh, no, you know, I've always kind of been this way where I've in even before real estate, you know, when I was in sales, I've always been very independent and just kind of motivated to just be the best or be the top sales performer, you know, just outwork everybody else. So I think a lot of it's internal, just the way I and I know that not everyone is like that, but as far as coaching, I haven't really had any specific coaching. I'm kind of, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Max Maxwell and, you know, kind of how he taught himself, you know, through YouTube videos on how to wholesale. So I almost like feel like I'm a version of that, of where I just am sort of self-taught and I just kind of learned the business. But as far as the coaching goes, I haven't had any, I haven't paid for any. And uh, I, I probably should, because I know it would make me even, you know, more sort of motivated and stay on track better. So uh, definitely something I'm open to. But um, yeah, it, it's, and don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect. Like I believe me, I miss days too, you know, where I, I don't make all my calls or I can't get to them. I'm, you know, I've been on the road all day or I'm just too busy. But I think it's just what, what happens that next day, you know, do you quickly catch up and do you not let it get to that, you know? end of the week where you have all your calls or, you know, even, even worse, you know, the next two weeks pass and you still haven't made those calls. So I think I'm pretty good at, you know, just staying grounded and making sure I, you know, uh, don't let it slide too far. Yeah. Got it. So do you get any referrals nowadays? Is, is it still completely cold prospecting or have you built some systems to generate referrals? I have. Yeah. And I love to learn what other people are doing to get more too, but I've had some referrals just from from, you know, people I've worked with and sellers I've worked with who have really, you know, liked me, liked my process. Uh, and I think I'm trying to think of how many I've had. I think it's been three uh, this year, uh, which I know at least two of them were like 20,000 assignment fees. Uh, so, I mean, they, they were, I mean, yeah, definitely worth it, you know? And, and so, but I know there's some other people doing some pretty cool things too, to, to get referrals and, you know, I, but I always try to, you know, show my appreciation even after the sale, you know, I, I'll oftentimes send a gift card, ask them, Hey, what's your favorite restaurant? Or, you know, what can I do for you? I really, really appreciate you working with me. And so I think that has helped me get some referrals and also reviews. It's, it's helped me get, you know, my, they go on and they'll, they'll leave me a review on Google and that's, that's huge nowadays. Yep. Everyone's looking at, at Google reviews. So yeah, the referral businesses, and, and I suppose there could be some business from those reviews too, which I don't know, I guess you could call that referral business, but yeah, I, I have had some and I hope I get a lot more because th those are, you know, free leads, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. In, in wholesale, it's not as common to get referrals, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's like the cold prospecting game the yeah. entire time. But exactly. it seems... yeah, it's really not. It's, it's not. They, once you, yeah, once you do a deal with someone, they're like, all right, cool. I got what I want. I'm out. So, and you don't usually right. hear from it again. But yeah, I've had some people that have actually tried to stay in touch with me too, even after, you know, the, the sales process and after we close, which is cool. But, you know, it, uh, it's like, and that's the type of business we're in. It's just like one thing, you know, you close on a deal and then it's move on to the next one and you move on to the next one. And, you know, um, it's, and I, I think I thrive best in that environment and that with that type of sale where, you know, there's other 
products and services you can sell, right? Where, you know, you got to be engaged throughout the course of the contract, right? If it's a year, whatever it is. So, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, referrals aren't that common. So if I can get three or four a year, Hey, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. No. And it seems like those little things, just building the rapport during the sales process and then following up with a card or a gift card to a local restaurant or things like that. seems like it's doing you pretty well. So that, that's, those are some notes for wholesalers to take for sure. Where do you think the industry is heading? With all the rent moratorium, you know, the stimulus, like everything that's going on. And now there's some political unrest in in what just happened in the Middle East with Biden's decision to pull the military. And like, mm-hmm. there's so many things going on right now. Mm-hmm. There's there's the stimulus that has been ha- happening that's kind of ending, but it increased so much cash flow. So what are your like two to five year predictions on the overall economy, housing market? I mean, no one has a crystal ball, but mm-hmm. what do you think? Like operating as a wholesaler who's always looking for the deal in, in any market. Yeah. Well, what do you think is going to happen with with uh, foreclosures and everything? Yeah, now that, that's a great question. And I, I think about this all the time. And I, yeah, like you said, no one has a crystal ball. I surely don't. You know, the appreciation has been, has been crazy, really, the, these past few years, especially in our market. And I know it's like this in, you know, almost everywhere across the country right now. And you just, I can't really see it continuing on this, uh, you know, trend. I mean, I, I think eventually we're going to kind of flatten out here and, and, you know, I think the foreclosures are going to start to catch up. We haven't really seen any of those for a while because of everything that's going on with COVID and, you know, the, the eviction process has kind of been halted. So I do think that we are going to, and I don't know when, I honestly thought we were going to see this by now already, but I think it's just continuing to get pushed back. So I would say, you know, maybe end of the year, maybe early 2022, I think we might start seeing some more foreclosures and I think the market might flatten out a little bit, maybe even dip a little bit. Um, but again, I that's just me throwing a dart. You know, I, I really don't know for sure. I will say this, the good, great thing about being a wholesaler is it really doesn't matter what the market's doing. A deal is a deal. You just have to be aware of where the market is. And, you know, right now we're, we're in a, we're in a hot market, right? So those deals from three years ago, where you could, you know, in our market, you could buy a house for, get a house under contract for 50K, uh, 60K, you just don't see that anymore, right? I mean, now you can get a house under contract for 100, 120K in Grand Rapids. That's a great deal. Right. So it's just, you, you just have to know what the market's doing and, and our buyers are paying more for deals because they know they're going to sell them for more. And, and same thing, if we do take a little hit, you know, you're going to start getting some better deals. You're going to get people are going to be a little more motivated. They're going to maybe take a little bit less because they, they have to. So again, that's a bonus, I think, of the type of industry this is, or, you know, just being a wholesaler is that there's always going to be deals. You just have to be aware of, you know, what the market's doing and, and really just, I think, staying in close contact with your buyers too. Because I, I think that's huge in this business is that you start developing relationships with your buyers. You know, now I can just send my deals over to them before I even get them under contract and say, hey, what do you think of this? They're like, looks good. I'll take it, right? So that's a great way to, to know you got a deal and, and know that you can move it quick once you have good, great relationships with your buyers. Yes, absolutely. And how'd you build your buyer network? Well, it was a combination of a lot of different things. You know, it kind of started... Uh, Facebook groups. I'd reach out to people, 
you know, I hired a VA to send messages to people in Facebook groups, just asking them, you know, hey, what, what are you buying? Uh, would you like to be added to the list? And almost everyone says yes, you know, very right. rarely does someone say, if they're in a real estate Facebook group, they probably want to be on a buyer's list, right? So the other thing I did was I used PropStream to pull a, a cash buyer's list. And then we skip trace all those leads. And I think we texted them. I don't think we called them. I think we texted those leads. And we got some good, some good buyers out of that. And then just meeting people too, you know, when I'm out trying to move a deal, I worked with some other wholesalers initially to get my business going, you know, and I did a lot of JV deals just to, just to meet people. And, you know, I had some issues, a new wholesaler that that's always a challenge is, you know, if you get a property under contract and you don't really have much of a list, it's like, well, how do I, how do I sell this? And so I think a big tip I would leave people with today is, is uh, partner up with other wholesalers who have been doing this for a while because they have strong buyers lists and they will help you move your deal. And mm-hmm. yeah, they're going to want some money, right? So, you, you know, you split the deal 50-50, however you want to set that up. But what ends up happening too, is you're going to go out on those on those walkthroughs, on those showings, and you're going to meet all their buyers, right? And, uh, you know, once you start meeting these people, you know, you can start developing that relationship, get their email addresses. And I've, I've got a ton of buyers from that, from other wholesalers. And, you know, I'm, and, you know, it's like, I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm stealing their buyers, right? Because it's like, at the end of the day, all these buyers are, they're looking for the deals. And so mm-hmm. if you've got deals, they're going to want to talk to you. So That's right. yeah, it's been, it's just been over, you know, different methods over time. And, uh, but, and it's one of those things too, where it's like, I've kind of forgotten about that list and, you know, I haven't really added to it anytime recently because I haven't had to, but you know, it's something that it's on my to-do list to make sure you keep doing that outreach and keep building that up. Cause what do they say? It's always the, it's always the one with the biggest list, right. That, you know, is able to, is able to get the deals moved. So it's Absolutely. definitely a key part of the business. Yeah. And just like on the, the retail side of real estate, it's all about your database. Have you found that buyers turn into sellers? Like if, for example, you have investor buyer list and you've built relationships with them, that they have properties that they would then sell off market? Or is that typically like they're just buyers, they buy and hold, or they'll sell through a broker and try and put it on the market and get top dollar? What's your experience with that? I thought about that too. So most of my buyers, I haven't done any like wholesale, wholesale their deals, but I've had a couple people ask me to, hey, you want to shoot this out to your list? And so I, I shouldn't say I shouldn't say that nobody would let me do it, but there was a couple of right. people who mentioned it. You know, I think for those guys, you know, they uh, a lot of them they they use brokers or they just you know do it themselves. They know people. What I found is in that in our community, everyone's pretty well connected, and so you know, especially in the Facebook group too. That's what a lot of people do is they'll just put their deal on Facebook and you know look at it like twenty responses on the first day, and you know that's usually a pretty quick way to to get something sold. But it does happen, and it's actually I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that. We haven't really explored too much, you know. We haven't really done any sort of marketing out to our buyers and say, "Hey, look, do you guys do you have anything that you know I could help you sell?" And I think that's a great idea. I mean, it's something that we haven't we haven't looked into much. But hey, it's like you got this huge list, you got all these emails, you got all these contacts. Like, why not? You know, that could be another deal source right there for sure. Yeah, and they're warm. Yeah, that's exactly. One of, yeah. That's one of my strategies because I'm also a licensed commercial agent, so. You know, I can market it a couple different ways, like have buyers that trust me. Hey, what other properties do you have that we can, you know, maybe the depreciation is exhausted and mm-hmm. we can get you into something else with a 1031 where you can continue depreciating it. You can, you know, mm-hmm. it can be an up leg for you. And so we can have conversations like that while we're, you know, looking at the other 
properties I'm sourcing for them to buy. It's like, well, do you need to leverage anything in order to get this? Like, you know, I'm always mm -hmm. kind of looking at both sides of it. Mm -hmm. And um, if they don't want to put it on the market, I'll wholesale that one too. And like, I'm very fluid, you know, I'm not like locked into mm -hmm. the brokerage model. A lot of my top right. clients from my marketing agency background thought like this, they were not only brokers, but they were real estate investors. And when they would go on listing mm -hmm. appointments, they would say, Hey, look, your house is in disrepair. So we have three options. We can either give you cash advance, help you fix it up, put it on the market. We can, you know, offer you a cash offer. I have, you know, investors all over and we can just go ahead and do that and you know the investors will get you cash offer or we can list it as is like what do you want to do and sure. so offering those options it mm -hmm. helps build rapport and you know they can uh, obviously the the broker makes money either way because it's you know, on the investment side or the brokerage side so i always saw that as a really good model and you know i'm emulating that now in my own brokerage and, and investor model mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good. It's always great to have options. And, you know, I, I don't have my license. I had it Well, I, I sort of went through all the coursework and passed the state exam. And then I placed it with uh, an agent through escrow. It's, it's, you know, so I was on the referral program, but I haven't actually ever had it active. And, you know, I always kind of go back and forth like, well, should I do this or should I not do this? And, you know, as a wholesaler, I get that all the time where people ask me like, oh, do you have your license? You know, and, and, you know, you know how it is when you're out there. It's like some, sometimes people like want you to answer that question and say, no, you know, they, they want to know they're working with just a home buyer and not, not somebody who's trying to, you know, get a listing or something. Right. So right. I've kind of just, I, you know, I haven't really pursued it and I'm, I'm just leaving it sort of in escrow. So that way I have that option. Like, Hey, if I ever want to, you know, make it active and use it, I can, but um, right. I, yeah, I haven't needed it and I don't know if I will. So it's working All for right. me so far. Yeah, absolutely. And what has been your number one, most profitable lead generation source? You mentioned sending some mailers out and driving for dollars. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was more so in the beginning to get things kicked off. But mm -hmm. now that you've done, you know, 30 deals in the last 12 months, what's been your most profitable lead gen source? I would have to say texting has been most profitable just because it's pretty cheap to do it. You know, I, I pay a VA what is it? I don't know, six or seven bucks an hour for a couple of hours a day. He sends out our text messages. You know, I, I use a platform uh, called Launch Control to to send everything, you know, and we, we do it legally and we make sure, you know, Launch Control is, is set up that way where, you know, they're uh, compliant and everything like that. So, but the cost per lead is, is crazy low. I mean, it's, you know, it's not my favorite. I'll say this. It's not my favorite lead source because of some of the replies you get from cold texting people, but it's by far the lowest cost per lead. And so that's why we're doing it. And we'll, we'll keep doing it. I would say direct mail is probably the most expensive, but you get some great leads from direct mail still in our market, especially. And I think that's slowly going to be phased out over time. You know, I think maybe in 20 years from now, I think direct mail is not going to be very effective at all, uh, but it's still very effective here. And uh, we get, we still get some great deals out of that, but yeah, cost per lead is definitely higher. And uh, you know, website leads are free, right? The SEO leads. So those are actually the lowest cost per lead, but I guess for paid marketing, we'll say it's the texting and then website leads are free. So those are the best. And that's actually the one thing that I have paid for as far as like training or coaching goes is uh, SEO just, you know, paying somebody to help me with SEO and to help me build a credible website and slowly starting to see some traction. Uh, but we get probably three to five leads from that every month. And I would say at least one or two of those are really, really good leads where they're motivated and we get them under contract quickly and, and they're usually a pretty big spread. So that's kind of a combination of the different channels we have right now and, and what's working. Interesting. 
And a follow-up question on the cold texting. So are you getting the lists from, you mentioned PropStream or some kind of property data source and then, you know, skip tracing it. Then you have a list of homeowners with their potential cell phone numbers. And is that then you're, you're cold texting them? Is that the process? Yeah, exactly. We use PropStream for pulling the data. We run script, skip tracing. You can do that through PropStream. You can do that through, there's a bunch of different, a bunch you know, of them, yeah. Uh, yeah, that you can skip trace with. So and yeah, and then we just, we cold text them and we get, there's a lot of noise to sort through when you're, when you're cold texting people, you know, you're going to get a lot of people who are kind of just kicking the tires or just messing with you and you really have to kind of drive the conversation. But when they're interested, you know, we, we try to get them on the phone as soon as possible. You know, if they say, yeah, I'll take an offer or, you know, anything that's favorable to, Hey, I want to, I want an offer. I want to sell. Yeah. We, we just try to call them and so I have an acquisitions manager who kind of handles that. We've got a VA and acquisitions manager who who both work our uh, launch control. But yeah, it works. And we don't even have that many texts a, a day. I think we're only doing like a hundred because I didn't want to do too many. I didn't because there is a lot of you know responses that you get that you kind of have to sort through. And I know people that are doing you know five, four or five thousand a day. I don't even understand. I don't know how they do that. I mean, obviously they got they got some pretty big teams, but. But yeah, it's a channel that's working for us. And I think we'll, we'll keep doing that until something happens otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned reading a lot of books in the beginning and doing like listening to podcasts. So what are one to three books that helped, you know, influence your wholesaling career? Yeah. So let's see. I mean, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad was huge. That really, and I know everyone says that, right? But it, it's just... Uh, I mean, it really just paints the picture, right. Of, you know, the kind of the, the two different, (laughs) two different dads. Right. So, uh, that, that was a big one. I read, uh, the millionaire next door was another one. That's an older book. I think it was in the nineties. It was when it came out, but I think it still applies today, you know, definitely. And, and that one more about just, you know, being budget conscious and that kind of thing. And then, uh, there was one by, I'm not going to forget the name of it, but, uh, it was flipping houses, Jay Scott, I want to say, I forget the title, but it was just a book about flipping and just kind of laid out the the blueprint for how to get leads and, you know, how to do that. So, um, I would say those are three of the ones that really stick out. I know there's more, but those are the, those are the top three. And then, and then, like I said, just lots and lots of podcasts and, and just listening to, uh, you know, different material and, and just that, that really got me going. Awesome. It makes total sense. And you mentioned some of the staples there. So how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a, like a favorite failure of yours? A favorite failure. That's a good question. So, you know, I think, I think for me and just wholesaling in general, like the times where I would consider it failing is if I get a property under contract that I can't, that I can't find a buyer for, I just really, and that's the toughest part of our business, right? And that's why a lot of people, I think a lot of wholesalers, you know, maybe struggle at first when they, you know, get a deal and maybe it's not the best deal and they can't find a buyer, but I just really pride myself on never backing out. So, you know, I sort of be, and it still happens, right? You know, you get a kind of a questionable deal, but it's like, you really want to help the seller out or, you know, it's like, you still are optimistic that you're going to find somebody. And so I've, I guess what I've done to sort of turn that into I don't know if it's a success, more of just a strategy so it doesn't happen, right? Is I've created multiple lists. Um, I have an agent list that I use. And so if I can't find a cash buyer for my my main buyers list, I have a secondary list that's an agent list where I'll, I'll blast it out. And I've got six or 700 agents on there that are all in our market. And so that's worked for me. I've, I've moved quite a few deals from that secondary list. I also will, you know, 
have a conversation with a seller, just an honest conversation. And you and I have an out clause, so I can I can back out if I need to. But but I have this like I always want to help the seller, right? I don't want to just say no, I can't do it, I can't do the deal, and just and just leave them hanging. So I always you know present different options. Like I work with agents. Hey, we can list your house. You know, hey, here's another option. We can we can lower the price and we can, you know, have this other buyer who will take it at this price or this last option, you know, I can market your house on different, you know, channels, Zillow, Craigslist, whatever it is. And so like, but it still happens where I have trouble moving a deal, but it's like, I never want to leave the seller hanging. And, you know, so I think that's something uh, that I've taken, you know, to heart for sure. Yeah, absolutely. What's one of the best or most worthwhile investments you ever made? So as far as the wholesaling specifically, like walk me through one deal that you, it was just, incredible spread. Like, um, do you, mm-hmm. you gotta have, you gotta have one of those. That's like the benchmark for every other deal. <laughs> yeah. I have one. I have a good one. And I wrote a blog post on it. It's on my, my blog crushing rei.com. So we have to check that one out, but it's basically how I bought a house for free is what the title of the blog post was. And obviously I didn't buy it for free. I, I paid money for it, but I made so much from the assignment fee that it covered the cost of the house. So it was, a motivated seller who owned, I think he owned nine multifamily properties. So there was like a combination of duplexes and like there was a couple, four units. And, uh, you know, usually when you get somebody like that, they're like, oh yeah, I'm thinking about selling maybe one or two. Now this guy wanted to sell all nine. Like he was, he was motivated. He was ready to get out. They were all way under market rent. So I just ended up building up a bunch of rapport with this guy. You know, I met him out at his, where he worked at a marina and worked on boats and you know, I mean, this guy was a big talker too. So I knew I had to black off like an hour every time, you know, I got him on the phone, but I built up all this rapport with him. We talked price, we sent over a contract. He has an attorney review it. At one point he started talking to an agent and almost bailed on me. He's like, well, this agent says I can do this and I'm leaving money on the table. And we, you know, had that whole conversation and uh, I went to his house and I met him and I talked to his wife and again, talked for like three hours. And finally he was like, Ryan, you know, I apologize. He's like, I don't even know why I brought that agent up. I don't know why I, he was even thinking about that deal. He's like, I want to work with you. I want to sell these houses to you. Let's do this deal. So sure enough, got them under contracts. We wholesaled eight of them. I had one buyer buy three. I think the other buyer bought two or three. And then we had a couple more guys. And then I bought one of them. And this, the assignment fees totaled, I think it was almost 70,000. So I bought this house and it's Muskegon. So it's like kind of the, you know, not the best area out here in West Michigan, uh, but there's some great deals popping up and it's actually the market is, it's appreciating like crazy. So I think it's going to be worth a lot more in a few years too. So anyway, I bought this duplex for like 67,000, didn't even need that much work. And it's bringing in like 1500 a month in rent and that whole entire house was paid for a duplex was paid for by the assignment fee. So that, that was, that was this year. That was really exciting. And yeah, that's, what's crazy about this business is like, you know, you hear people doing these deals where they make like 50, 60, hundred thousand dollars on one deal. And it's like, and it's true. It happens. It's crazy. Right. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. And with that particular nine unit multifamily owner, mm-hmm. how did you source that, that owner? Like what lead source did he come from? That was direct mail. Okay. Yeah, so, so you were mailing out to, was it in the property data as non-owner occupied? And then you mailed to that address or did you mail it to the all nine and like his tenants got the mail back to him? Like how did yeah, that work? So I think I did mail it to his mailing address. I think it was, yeah, it was an absentee, you know, non-owner mm-hmm. occupied. Uh, that's a good question though. Cause it's like sometimes on the lists, you know, it'll, 
it'll still give you all of the properties that he owns. So that's a good question. I should ask him, Hey, did you receive nine pieces of mail properties to this one address or did you just get one? And, you know, and that's the thing too, is like when you're doing direct mail, there's so many lists and so much data that you kind of have to sort through. I'm still doing that myself and I can't wait to outsource that to somebody else because it's a lot, it's too much data for me. And, you know, but direct mail is still very effective and it does get expensive. So it's, it's definitely a more expensive channel, but you get some great leads. And usually yeah. they're calling you, you know, because they're motivated and you still get a, a couple of people who, you know, are yelling at you to take me off your list. But, you know, <laughs> we will take those calls all day if we're going to get, you know, $70,000 assignment fees from other deals. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And with that, I'm curious because from a wholesale standpoint, when you're dealing with investors that own multiple properties and they don't live there, it's different than if you're contacting or focusing on single family homeowners mm-hmm. where they own one property, they live in it. And then it's like, okay, of course, like you mail that address, they're going to get it. But mm-hmm. w- when someone owns nine properties, they obviously right. don't live at those properties. So, you know, with direct mail, I, I do primarily digital stuff. So I've always wondered okay. that question, like, are you mailing it to the mailing address or, or are you reverse engineering? Cause I've done it to where I use data to reverse engineer where the owner actually lives. And I was like, yep. I could, I could now just direct mail them. But mm-hmm. I wonder if, if a lot of investors or wholesalers are emailing the rental properties and mm-hmm. if then like the tenants have to like get it to the owner or something, I don't know. Yeah. So, and you know, the data is, is not always accurate, you know, it's not but, always perfect, of course. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's like, yeah, we, we do have that option or that ability to make sure that we're mailing to their mailing address or at right. least that's what the data is supposed to be. So yeah, my hope is, is that 80% of the time it gets to where it's supposed to go. And I do get a lot of return mail. So I know that it's not perfect, but it still works for us. Awesome. So what's your process for evaluating what to say no to? And for this, you could be like, focus more on deals. Like if um, you're looking at the numbers, you're just like, man, the seller wants too much or like, well, what's your process for being like, nah, I'm not gonna make an offer. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, I, I probably make an offer on almost every property that I come across, uh, mm-hmm. even well, I should say, like, if I run an appointment, right, you know, then I'll, I'll always make an offer. If I'm just ha- talking to somebody on the phone or, you know, we're texting or whatever it is, and they, and they give me a number that's so high that, you know, I'll probably offend them if I give them my number, right? So I would say, um, you know, if we're doing a, a texting conversation, you know, if it's through uh, a text campaign and they throw a number out there that's just way too high, I probably won't waste my time. The other one I would say is if it's a really nice house. Uh, you know, retail condition, you know, newer home, nicely renovated. It's at that point, I'm usually almost just honest. I'm like, Hey, why don't you list this? You know, you're going to do so much better if you just list this for sale. Like, why are you talking to me? And sometimes, you you know, you don't always want to assume, right. You want to still keep that conversation going because maybe there is some other motivation there. And, you know, maybe there is some issue with a house that you haven't seen yet. Maybe it's in the basement. Maybe there's a foundation issue or something, you know, that, that, uh, and that's why they don't want to list it. So you, you want to keep that conversation going and you want to, because you never know where it's going to go. But usually I would say those two big ones, you know, obviously if they throw a number out, that's just so high. Or if it's a retail house, you know, I'm definitely more willing to pass on that one, especially. And, and I like to be honest with people too, and just say, Hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, I want to either be able to offer you as much as I can cash, or if I don't think I can do that, then, and I think you can do better somewhere else then Hey, I would just list it. I would talk to this agent. Here's his card. This is a guy I work with. And, uh, you know, just try to do what's best for the seller and make sure that they're happy at the end of the day. Mm, yeah, great point. And you mentioned something in that description where maybe it's a retail house, a, a house that's in retail shape, 
right. and they might have some other mo- motivation to sell mm-hmm. off market. One that I've encountered is actually kind of like a rich guy problem where maybe they have multiple properties. They literally are paying a $6,000 plus mortgage for this one property and they just have animals living at it because they're never there. And they also might be in some kind of lawsuit or disagreement in business because they're a multi-multi-millionaire and they don't want to list that property due to privacy or whatever. They just want to get it gone. But it's in great shape. They literally are paying maintenance on it every month to keep it in immaculate shape because when they do show up, they want it to be perfect. I've come across deals like that. (laughs) And and they're like, I want to sell off market, but it's literally newly renovated and in perfect condition. You're like... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, and it's like if somebody, you know, set on doing that, like, yeah, I don't want to tell them no. It's like, all right, yeah, we'll yeah. let's get this done for you. You know, I mean, yeah, I have buyers that will will gladly buy that house and then just list it themselves, right? And, and yeah. do nothing to it. Do nothing to <laughs> so, it. Yeah. So interesting world out there. So many deals, so many deal structures. And I think that's one of the most fascinating things about wholesale for me is you just start to have conversations with with sellers, potential sellers. And you figure out their motivation and it's like, it's always, you know, a variation of a couple of things and sometimes it's a little different, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to help do what's best for the seller. And a lot of times when you, when you are driving for dollars and you see that the house is run down, it's obviously a wholesale, but other times it's like this interesting creative deal structure to help solve their problem that they wouldn't have been able to do themselves. So mm-hmm. with that being said, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? You know, I would say, and I know I've been talking a lot about just grinding it out, working hard and, you know, putting in the time, but I would say kind of the opposite of that, but having a, a good work-life balance, because, you know, now I'm married, I've got, I've got kids and where before that, you know, living the bachelor lifestyle, I mean, you could, you know, you, you have, you're on your own time, you're on your own work schedule. all the time if you want to, yeah. Work all the time if you want, but now it's like, and I'm, guilty of this a lot too, because I want to just keep it going, keep grinding like after five, you know, and even into the evening hours and on the weekends, like, no, I got to have that, you know, work-life balance. And, but I want that. And I need that because I think we can all get overworked too, uh, pretty easily. And that's when you start, you know, losing sleep and getting stressed out and just, uh, you know, so it's, I think it's so key to have that work-life balance and, um, you know, put in the family time, you know, go out, have fun with your kids, you know, put in the time, even go on dates with your wife too. Right. You know, it's like, that's something that, you know, kind of gets lost over time and it's like so important, hard to find sitters these days, but, you know, but I think recently, yeah, that's something I've been putting a lot more effort and focus into, you know, again, it's, it's tough because, you know, in our business, we get calls on the weekends and we get emails and we get things we need to respond to. And so I, sometimes I have to like ask my wife permission, like, Hey, is it okay if I just take this call real quick and, you know, or reply to this email, that's kind of time sensitive and she gets it, you know, but it's just uh, making sure you put in the time and uh, the family time and have a good balance for sure. Man. So key. And I'm a huge believer in that. One of the big reasons why I chose commercial over residential real estate when I did get my license was because of the hours I mean, I've worked in the service industry as, you know, a a server or a bartender and worked nights and weekends and holidays. And I decided like, I never want to commit to a schedule that is like that. And so on the residential side of real estate, it is a lot of after work. Cause if you're working with someone that's actually employed that can afford homes, typically Monday through Friday, nine to five, they're busy. (laughs) So then that means weekends and nights for you. And so I said, nope. I mean, I, I love real estate investment. And I love the thought of being on the sales side of real estate, but man, 
commercial seems like it for me because it's mm -hmm. more based on the numbers. It's less emotional and mm -hmm. it's Monday through Friday, nine to five. So I can mm -hmm. still have date night with my fiance. I can still mm -hmm. go see my family on the weekends. I can have like a, a more regular lifestyle. And, you know, that was a choice for me. So uh, I think it's super important. And my biggest fear as an entrepreneur nowadays is burnout. Mm -hmm. Literally, like my biggest fear is just getting to the point where I've worked myself too hard and I start to become jaded on the opportunities that are in front of me every day. Mm -hmm. um, Darren Hardy talks about, you know, if you want to increase your productivity, go on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Take a freaking break because he knows yeah. all the type A people that are just working till midnight, waking up at 4 a.m., just grinding it out. But what happens is you just start to become jaded and tired and you need that rest. You need that recovery. And so do the people in your life. They need that time from you too. So really good point there. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And you're exactly right about the people you're working with, especially in residential real estate. I mean, I, that's why I hired an acquisitions manager because I can't even take, I don't want to take those appointments after five, right? And, and there's so many sellers that they can only meet after five on weekdays and uh, or on weekends. So I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I hired a, a younger guy. So I think, you know, no kids or anything like that. He's got a little more free time on his hands. So I'm like, right. hey, you go, you go handle all the appointments after five and I'll, I'll stay home and uh, hang out with my kids. So that, that's been working out so far. Yeah, perfect. And there's a time in your life where that makes sense. Like you said, mentioned younger guy, not as many commitments or responsibilities. He's hungry, wants to learn. Perfect. You know, yeah. let that person do it. And you don't have to continue doing that later into your, your years where it's not working out for you. And right. for me, that, that concept is, you know, reflection and, you know, journaling, thinking about like, what isn't working anymore? And if you never stop to just write things on paper about your last month of productivity, your last week, what's working, what's not, having a contemplation block. Some of the most influential CEOs and business owners in the world block off hours of their week just to think because they know that you know an hour of integrated thinking can save you a month of hard work if you're working in the wrong direction. <laughs> so you know, I think yeah. it's a big key is like, if after five isn't working for me anymore, who do I have to put in place in order to still get that done? And mm -hmm. maybe they're okay with it or they're, they're actually excited about that. And then I take it off my plate, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So is there a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to elaborate on from earlier? No, I think you covered most of it. Yeah. I, I think wholesaling is, I think for starters, you know, wholesaling is a great way to get into real estate investing. I mean, there's so many people who want to get in, but they don't really know how, and everyone thinks you need money, right. You know, to get started in real estate investing. And, you know, I, I know Brandon Turner's book was another one I, I should have mentioned, you know, how to invest in real estate with no money down uh, another great read. And it's just, uh, with wholesaling, you can just start knocking on doors, driving for dollars, you know, um, sending out, no, you don't even have to send mail because mail costs money, right? But you can drop notes in people's mailboxes and say, hey, I want to buy your house, you know, and just start getting leads because at the end of the day, it's, you know, to start wholesaling, all you need is a, is a really good deal. You just need a, a commitment from a seller to sell their house for a, a really good price. And that's really it. I mean, I know it sounds simple, but you got a great deal. You're going to, you're going to move it pretty easily. So that's why I got started in wholesaling. I definitely want to keep my wholesaling business going and building it up. And but I think long term, I think, you know, eventually sort of transitioning out of the day-to-day -day operation is where I want to be and really start looking at more more investment type things, whether it's Airbnb, you know, I I think commercial real estate is something I'm also very interested in and, you know, kind of exploring uh, different types of investments and deals and just growing the portfolio. And so that's that's where I'm at right now. And 
Yeah. Loving every minute of it. But yeah, if you're trying to figure out how to get started and you don't really know where to start, you know, just start analyzing deals, you know, start driving for dollars, start seeing if you can talk to some sellers and start having conversations. And next thing you know, you'll get a deal on your hands and it'll kind of be a snowball effect after that. That's right. I love it. So how can listeners contact you? So I have a website, lakeshorehomebuyer.com. That's my main seller, motivated seller website. Um, I also have an email. It's ryan at lakeshorehomebuyer.com. And then uh, a blog that I'm really excited about. I kind of just started about a month ago, but I've already added a bunch of cool content. And it's really, I'm going to be focusing on just telling my story and recommending, you know, different tools that I'm using for wholesaling and and just uh, ultimately just kind of telling people how I got there, but that's crushingrei.com. So yeah, that's, that's my plug. So appreciate you having me on and, and you know, hopefully this, this was helpful to somebody. Absolutely. No, we covered some great topics and I really appreciate having you on. Ryan Dusenberry, wholesaling out there in Michigan. And I think that my listeners have a lot to learn from this guy. So check him out on his blog and uh, reach out if you need anything from him or maybe you want to be a buyer, uh, maybe you want to refer a deal. So there is a lot to be done with the networking and real estate. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I love this podcast is because it introduces me to very interesting interview guests like yourself. So thank you for being on. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. And uh, you uh, enjoy the weather out there in sunny California and I'm certainly jealous. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.